If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Star Wars 7x7, episode 498. Today we continue our series on the reveals from Entertainment Weekly and their new double issue highlighting The Force Awakens. And, oh my, some good stuff here today, too. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, I'm Amy Rackliff from Full of Sith, and you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod, and we got four new articles from Entertainment Weekly today as part of their series on The Force Awakens, and in just a few hours from when we're recording this podcast, actually, the issue itself is going to be released digitally, which I will be able to get my hands on and have a look at to see if there's anything else that's going on inside the issue aside from the wealth of stuff that Entertainment Weekly has already released on their website. The articles, uh, excuse me, not the articles, the magazine themselves. Well, the articles too, <laughs> because of course they're in the magazine, but the magazine itself hit newsstands on Friday. So uh, if you have not picked up your copy, then by all means, jump out and grab yours or check everything out on the website at EW.com. It's all very easily found and we will We'll have links again, as we did over the last couple of days, to the articles that we are covering here. Or grab yourself a tablet edition. And yeah, this is a free plug for Entertainment Weekly. They are not a sponsor of the podcast, but uh, they are putting out some tremendously neat stuff about it and have done over the past year or so. So do check them out because they seem to have a, uh, a pretty good relationship with Lucasfilm and they're getting some pretty sweet stuff out of them. One article that you won't need to read, and I guess I mean that from a certain point of view, so I'll clarify. But one article you don't need to read to get new Force Awakens updates is the article with Anthony Daniels, the interview with him, because it's more about him seeing the power of costume exhibit and his reactions to it. But it also touches on BB-8 and his initial reaction to it and whether he thinks that's going to be stealing some attention and and fan love from C-3PO. But he also talks about how he got the call from Kathleen Kennedy about possibly being in The Force Awakens, but J.J. Abrams had to call him and how they discussed um, building the costume and uh, his workout regimen and <laughs> a few other things there too. Um, good article for sure, so definitely check it out. But uh, as far as finding new Force Awakens material out, well, no, you don't need to look there for it. And there's also an article about Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and about the journey that they're about to go through from the perspective of being a woman and being a black man in the whole Star Wars universe in general, but also specifically being the representatives of the Star Wars universe now and how the world in some very small sectors is not necessarily ready for that and what uh, their reactions are to it. And by their reactions, I mean Daisy and John specifically. I mean, Daisy says just about the the movie itself, she says, for the idea of her being called a hero, for Ray being called a hero or a heroine, I think that's almost wrong because the whole thing is she's a normal girl going on a journey. 
There's so much talk about gender still and the wage gap and the opportunity for women around the world in different sectors. So to be one of the facial representations of a positive progression is incredible. It's not a burden. It just seems to me like it's so simple. And for Boyega's part, Bresnikin, Anthony Bresnikin is writing this one again, writes, As a lifelong Star Wars fan himself, Boyega says the benefit of diverse casting is that kids will pretend to be the characters they love. Whether those individuals have skin that's white, brown, green, or covered in fur, that's what he, Boyega, did. On the original trilogy, it wasn't just Billy D. Williams' Lando Calrissian who captured his imagination. And then Boyega says, in quote, We see through the eyes of children that they're not talking about race the way we grown folks are. They're not talking about color or how much melanin is in, how much melanin is in someone's skin. That should teach us something. And that's more or less the same thing that we talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, where scorekeeper Declan, who, he's eight years old, and he saw the scene where Finn lights up his lightsaber in the snowy forest and said, Finn gets a lightsaber! And was just super excited about it. Not because even, you know, not because it's like, hey, a black guy got a lightsaber for the first time. Like, it wasn't even that. It was just, hey, here's a good guy who gets a lightsaber. He was just excited, and it did not matter one whit what color his skin was. He was just fascinated with the idea and getting to see a good guy get a lightsaber going on, which, you know, that's what it was all about. And there's a lot more good stuff about the article and about John and Daisy in there, too. But there is a bit of Force Awakens stuff in here as well, because they talk about uh, Daisy Ridley flying the Millennium Falcon on her own and also alongside Han Solo, and they talk a little bit about the <laughs> the technique of actually acting in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. And so, by the way, I guess it's worth flagging that she does fly it alone, according to this. So there's a little new piece of information for you. Uh, but the interview, Daisy Ridley says, I was doing random switch flipping in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. And Harrison kind of put his hand out and said, no, everything had to have a purpose. Like, you flip a switch and then you see what it does before you do anything else, she says. I was probably flipping switches too quickly. And then she says, uh, there was one other awkward moment. Uh, she says, probably when I sat in his pilot seat, Ridley says, there's a shot where I pilot the Falcon by myself. And then on another day, Harris and I, Harrison and I went to film together. I went to get into the pilot seat and he was like, that's mine. And I was genuinely mortified. And JJ was sitting there like, oh my God, oh my God. And, you know, I moved into the co-pilot seat. <laughs> I love that story. That's a great little, <laughs> that's a great little, um, oh gosh, the word just flew from my head. That's a great little anecdote. That's the word I was looking for. What a, what a neat little story. Anyway, um, that again will also be linked to the blog post for this show's episode at SW7x7.com. And there are two other articles that bear, I think, a little more heavily on The Force Awakens in terms of the information that they reveal. One of them is about BB-8. And the gender question comes up in here. Now, there had been some article posted that talked about what um, BB-8's gender was and that it's a she. And this article seems to sort of confirm but then sort of dispel that notion. They have an interview with Neil Scanlon, who is the head of the Force Awakens Creature Shop. And when they started designing it, they were thinking of BB-8 as female. And then over the course of the filming of the movie, BB-8 became male in the way that they referred to it, him, her. Um, but they say that uh, in the article, it's not clear that a gender type has ever been specified, but as of now, everyone working on the movie calls BB-8 a he. So, 
I don't know. I think this is one of those situations where there's just no gender-neutral pronoun that is appropriate and that has gotten into common usage for us to be able to roll with it because it doesn't seem fair to refer to BB-8 as an it, just like you wouldn't refer to R2-D2 as an it. There's just something about them that requires you to anthropomorphize them in the anthropomorphize them in the way that you want to give them human pronouns and not and not uh, not human it pronouns that you might use for for animals i guess for all intents and purposes or for things that are being rejected from going into cantinas and whatnot like you don't want to strip that dignity away from them but we don't have a clear answer on what BBH gender is. And yeah, I guess, I don't know, I never really thought, even C-3PO, I never really considered male per se. Uh, I just didn't see the gender issue like factoring in at all. But you need a useful pronoun for talking about robots sometimes. And I guess we all just lapse into he because, you know, for some reason people think it's weird if you say she is a gender neutral pronoun. I don't know. Maybe we're just not used to that as as a culture or something to that effect. But there you go. I guess you could say BB-8 has undergone gender reassignment. (laughs) Oh, man. No, maybe we shouldn't say that. (laughs) All right. There are other reveals in the article, too. Uh, including particularly about the panels on him, his soccer ball design. Actually, the way he was designed, they say, has to do with making it easier for us as viewers to track his movement. And that makes a heck of a lot of sense, actually. When you see the soccer ball rolling, like, you could actually get a sense of the direction he's rolling. And if it had been, like, different shapes, it would have been a little bit weirder and harder to tell uh, just intuitively which way he's rolling. So I thought that was a a pretty cool thing to think about. Um, Other things in here, too, include just the panels themselves and what purposes they have. And they say BB-8 has retained some secrets for future films. Uh, Neil Scanlon says, We haven't absolutely defined what each panel does. Each has a specific purpose, whether it be a data port or a docking station or a welding torch. He might have his own self-defense mechanism. And they note in the article that at least one of the panels has a taser-like probe and that he can also eject grappling hooks for climbing vertically. And uh, when posed with the idea that he might be a Swiss Army knife, which sounds like a very R2-D2-like explanation, Scanlon says he is indeed a Swiss Army knife that shouldn't be trusted. And I thought that was a really kind of interesting way of putting it, uh, one that shouldn't be trusted. And I guess in the in the paragraph above it, I mean, that's maybe what it relates to because He says, we've always imagined BB-8 as being quite manipulative, and that's Scanlan again. I think he knows he's cute, he knows that he can win people over, and he uses that like children do to get his own way. In the film, he has a very important mission that he has to accomplish, and so he uses his personality, his coyness, and all of those things. So I wonder if the can't-be-trusted situation has to do with that, if he's just, you know... (laughs) like R2-D2, where he's just going to do anything he has to do in order to fulfill a mission, or if this goes to something that's really kind of shocking, if we're getting a quiet reveal that he is somebody who can't be trusted by the good guys, since he seems to be with the good guys all the time, so... I don't know. I don't think I'm prepared to read that much into it, although it seems to be there to be read into, but I'm... I don't think I'm going to go that direction. I think they've already done enough with the droid um, 
uh, the droid espionage, I guess you would say, with um, R3, I think it was R3-S6, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the Clone Wars cartoons that turns out to be a programmed droid from General Grievous, who gets into the uh, into the replacement run when Anakin loses his ship and loses R2-D2 for a time, and this is and that robot Goldie shows up and screws a whole bunch of things up, and everybody is mad at it, and, and Anakin's complaining because he liked R2 better, and it turns out that Goldie wasn't just screwing things up because it was an inept robot, it was screwing things up because it was an espionage robot, it was a plant, but... I digress. Anyway, that also will be, um, that article will be at the blog post for the show's episode for you to go straight to and check out. And the last article has to do with Starkiller Base and General Hux. Finally, we're getting the General Hux article or information that we were promised. And and there's, you know, a little bit about Hux, but I don't think it's anything necessarily that you haven't heard before, but a little bit deeper insight that I thought was really intriguing from Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, when he talks about General Hux and how he got into power, he says, you don't get that high up in your life that quickly unless you're pretty ruthless. And the article basically says that he's killing his way to the top. Um, and Donald Gleason says, you have to put a few people down on the way to get there, but says that uh, he doesn't carry any sort of signature weapon. He has other people to do such dirty work. And the insights into the character also were pretty cool. Um... According to according to Gleason, Hux's desire to be part of the First Order and what its appeal is, it's all about order. It's a desire, he says, to lump everything in its place and just have power. The desire for power is hugely motivating for a lot of people. And normally the people who want all the power are not the ones who should have it. Well, I guess we're going to find out that Hux is very much like that. But he's also thinking deeply about the psychology of this as well. And says, and in response to why would Hux feel such yearning to exert force uh, over vast array of beings that populate the galaxy, Gleason says it's the fear of individuality. It says people who are messed up themselves often want to squash the individuality out of other people because they're afraid of what it means. And I thought that was a really interesting insight. And I think we're getting more sophisticated in our storytelling. Not that Star Wars itself wasn't sophisticated to begin with, but we're getting deeper into the motivations of these characters. And I think the actors themselves are getting deeper into the motivations of these characters rather than just um, acting them out based on based on the archetypes, essentially, for all intents and purposes. And there's actually a book that came out not too long ago called uh, Star Wars Psychology, if I'm not terribly mistaken, uh, came out at the end of last month with articles and essays about uh, the psychology of the different characters. I have yet to read this, but it's something that is possibly coming to the forefront a little bit more now that we are getting into the new movies. And anyway, there's another uh, bit from Gleason about Kylo Ren (laughs) and General Hux. And he says that Hux is kind of opposite Kylo Ren, that they have their own relationship, which is individual and unusual, uh, but that one of them is strong in different ways than the other, and that they're both vying for power. So they're not necessarily getting along in the same way that uh, Tarkin and Vader used to. I guess uh, Anthony Bresenkin is describing them as frenemies, if you will, and I certainly wouldn't have thought of Tarkin and Vader that way. I think maybe they could have started out that way, especially if you'd read the novel Tarkin by James Luceno. The That was, I believe, the second novel that was released in the new canon. 
And it was a great novel and also sort of about the meeting of the two of them for the first time. And obviously not really for the first time because in the Clone Wars cartoon series, from what I understand, I have not watched these episodes. But uh, Tarkin shows up in those and knows Anakin Skywalker from them. So I don't think that Tarkin knows. Well, I know that Tarkin doesn't know who's inside the Vader armor in the novel Tarkin, but he has his suspicions that are pretty close on. So it's sort of the meeting of... Of Tarkin and Vader as opposed to you know Tarkin and the man behind the mask and it's how they sort of get to know each other and grudgingly at first appreciate each other's strengths and find good ways to work together but not necessarily the case with Kylo Ren and General Hux so there you go and as far as Starkiller base goes this is the, the item that you're seeing on the poster, that giant planetoid-looking thing with the red <laughs> the red eye, I guess, for lack of a better, that, you know, the red port that could either be cannon or exhaust, probably cannon. Anyway, J.J. Uh, Abrams has confirmed that that is Starkiller Base on the poster, and he says, quote, It is very much, and it's acknowledged as such in the movie, apparently another Death Star. But what it's capable of, how it works, and what the threat is, is far greater than what the Death Star could have done. Starkiller Base is another step forward, technologically speaking, in terms of power. So, there's a little bit of speculation on what that could mean. And it doesn't look like uh, Anthony Bresnikin was pulling from the databank thing from the podcast that we did. Actually, earlier this week, the day that they announced that there were going to be new articles coming out about The Force Awakens and they announced the uh, issue itself, that was the day our podcast went live with um, the what's the deal about Starkiller Base? And, you know, it's just sort of odd timing. But, you know, here we are. Two days later from that podcast, the article comes out where Bresnikin is relaying some of these suppositions about what Starkiller Base could do and says uh, that the only thing more devastating than being able to blow apart a whole planet is the power to detonate, say, an entire sun. And the title Starkiller Base may not only be an homage to Lucas's original surname for Luke Skywalker. It could accurately describe the battle station's capabilities and also mentions, as we mentioned in the podcast, the eerie red sky we see in the trailer right before a large forest gets annihilated. Maybe that's not the planet blowing up from a direct hit, but rather the shockwave from a dying or murdered star. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> need to see that we were on the same wavelength with uh, the writer of all these pieces for Entertainment Weekly. And he's pretty well connected in because he's the guy who's been doing all of these reveals articles. He was the guy who was on stage at Star Wars Celebration, uh, Anaheim, who was interviewing J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy and everyone that came out on stage. So, yeah, it's uh, he doesn't say that this has been confirmed or denied or anything like that with J.J. Abrams. We don't even know if it was taken up with him or not. But, yeah, Starkiller Base is going to be something major. And, again, at this point, I think the only thing we don't know of what it's capable of is getting around because if it's going to be attacking stars, it's got to be able to get near stars to be able to actually be a force to be reckoned with because... <laughs> What good is it if it's only able to shoot the star that it's, you know, that it's in the same star system with it? I mean, that would just get it destroyed anyway, wouldn't it? <laughs> but anyway, that is going to do it for all of the articles that Entertainment Weekly released on Friday. And if there's anything new in the actual 
physical release of the magazine itself, then we will report on that as well. Uh, obviously, today was the day that we would have done our Star Wars Weekly Trivia Lightning Challenge, but we decided to bypass it for you this week just to give you the latest and greatest news that's being dropped about The Force Awakens. But we still will have a trivia question for you, as well as details about Sunday's episode of the podcast after the break. Hey, Rebel Rouser. If you've got a business that you need to get in front of a bunch of Star Wars fans, then I've got an idea for you. I'm looking for a sponsor to get the entire Star Wars 7x7 team over to London for Star Wars Celebration Europe next July. And we get a ton of exposure when we do Star Wars Celebration podcasts. Not just the regular episodes, but the bonus stuff, and all the in-person stuff too, not to mention all the live streaming video we do. So if that's something of interest to you, then reach out via the contact form at sw7x7.com and let's talk. All right, here's that trivia question I promised you. Last time we asked you what character resides in a mud house on a moss-covered knoll, and that's Yoda. Today's question, what types of droids have on-off switches located on the backs of their necks? And as for Sunday's episode of the podcast, well, they released a 60-second TV commercial for The Force Awakens, and we are going to have another extended episode. It's extended episode week leading up to our 500th episode of the podcast, and we're going to break down that new 60-second commercial shot by shot for you. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you fall in love with a queen in disguise, check out SW7x7.com for show notes, links, photos, videos, and more. And if the show's been worth your time, please support us at patreon.com SW7x7. It's not a deep space angel, it's destiny unleashed. podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, and all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2015 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.